With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. HN Podcast. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. We're recording this Sunday night immediately following Kansas City New England game. Steve, I, just a short little aside, and this is not necessarily a uh, going out on a limb. NFL overtime rules suck. They suck bad. To not at least let both teams have a chance to touch the ball, I think is silly. I don't think the NFL should adopt the college overtime rule because the kickers are so good in that league. But don't you think that both teams need a chance to touch the football? Absolutely. And I'd be totally fine with the college overtime rules, or you can just move the ball back. It doesn't have to be at the 25. Put it at the 35. Put it at the 40. But um, to, to play an entire season and, and, and then essentially have it come to a coin flip, yeah. I mean, to do to – do, OTAs, training camp, 16 games, and then you get into the playoffs and it, and it can conceivably come down to a coin flip. Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I mean, it's it's a better system than what they had before where it was just first score wins. That was, you know, this is so we're getting we're getting closer to the right direction. But here's what also doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand what the goal of the Kansas City defense was. And what was the goal of their... So the Patriots have one good receiver, never double him, and then never blitz. Like, I, I don't understand why they thought they would be able to stop the greatest quarterback of all time just rushing for, dropping seven, and then they're not even double-teaming Julian Edelman when they drop seven. I... I their defensive scheme made no sense to me. Um, if it was me, I, I, you know what, man? If Tom Brady beats me because Chris Hogan made a 45-yard catch or Philip Dorsett made a 50-yard catch in man-to-man coverage, I'm going to live with that, okay? What I can't do is just watch him get 8 yards, 15 yards, 9 yards, 20 yards, 7 yards, 17 yards, over and over and over and over again. Um, at, at least I've got a chance to create a big play if I create some pressure on him. Uh, and this is what the Eagles did last year in the Super Bowl. They, they did not sit back and say, you know, we're just going to let you go down the field. Uh, they pressured him and got the sack, strip, fumble to, to win that game. So I, I didn't understand what the Chiefs were doing on defense in this game the entire time. Uh, I thought they were just dramatically outcoached on that side of the ball. Well, I mean, they, they don't have a good defense to begin with. That's 
I mean, they, you've seen it all season long, with the exception of last week. Um, their defense was, <laughs> you know, they're an enormous weakness. I, it, See, I, I think st- that's I think that's misstated. Here's why: a in today's NFL, it's tough, very difficult to have a dominant defense because all the rules favor the offense. Um, if you looked at this year, for the first time ever, the final four teams left were the top four scoring teams. Uh, if you looked in, if you looked at going into the divisional round last week, the top five of the top of the of the uh, eight teams left, all all of them were in five or five, the all five of the top five teams in offensive efficiency were, were still a bit, still in it, and four of those teams hosted playoff games. None of the top five teams in defensive efficiency were still in it. The, the the Chiefs led the league in the most. There are, in my opinion, in today's NFL, there with with all the rules favoring the offense. There's three defensive stats really that only three that really matter, and one is uh, turnovers forced, the other is uh, points allowed, and the third is sacks. Can you pressure the other team's quarterback? And Kansas City led the NFL uh, in sacks this year. So I, I don't I don't understand. And, and I also think you need to consider Kansas City was so far ahead in so many games this year that you're going to give up a lot of yards when you're playing a lot of soft zone coverages and things of that nature because you're so far ahead in a lot of these games. So I, I think the talk that Kansas City's defense wasn't that good was kind of overblown. I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, but it's not. If you're getting 52 sacks, you're not a bad defense. That's really good. I just thought their coaches today didn't put them in a position, particularly the last two drives. I'm going to make Tom Brady, if he beats me, you know what, fine, if, as, as long as I am doing what I can to take his head off. I'm not just going to let him sit back there and rush four and let them block with, with five or six. I don't know why they continue to do that. Kansas City's pass defense was 31 out of 32. Total defense was 31 out of 32. Um, it's passing league, as you mentioned, so rush defense, not as what it used to be, but it's somewhere in the high teens. Their points against is in the lower third. They don't have a good defense. They just don't. But anyway, whatever. That's over. And, you know, I'll tell you, my wife maybe has watched parts of five or six football games in our entire marriage, which... I mean, and she watched like the last 40 seconds tonight of regulation. And then I went and tucked my daughter in and came back out right before the kickoff of the overtime. And she's like, hey, why are they deciding who gets the ball with a coin flip? And it, dude, this is, I feel like Kirk Ferentz talking about his sister, his press conferences. He's like, my sister could tell you who the good best players are. My wife doesn't know anything about <laughs> football. She knows that a coin flip shouldn't decide that. So that, uh, that stinks. Um, let's talk about something that's a, a lot better. Uh, and that is Iowa's basketball fortunes as of late. We are two weeks removed from Iowa absolutely getting trounced at Purdue. That game was 86-70, and it wasn't even that close. It was actually on January the 3rd, so close close to three weeks now. Since then, Iowa has won five consecutive Big Ten games, two of them on the road. Both road wins were without its best player in Tyler Cook. Now, they haven't exactly beaten a murderer's row, but they have, um, let's see, one, two, probably three wins in that that are going to be Q1 wins at the end of the season. Um, 
their defense efficiency numbers have jumped up from like 120, 130 into at least the, the low 90s. Their offensive efficiency number right now is eighth in the country. The best ever finish they've had in the Ken Palm era was fifth a few years back. Um, the five consecutive conference wins, Iowa has had, Iowa has won five or more consecutive Big Ten regular season games in a total of five seasons in the last 30 years. Hmm. It's only happened five times. Three of them have happened under McCaffrey. Iowa has just done that. And Iowa's 16-3 and three start was matches one of McCaffrey's teams a few years ago, I believe the Jared Utah senior season. They were 16-3, and three, and I think they might have gone to 17-3. and three. That is the best start since, I think, you know, those two 16-3 starts. It's one of the two best starts since 1986-87. Now, this Iowa team, it doesn't have that type of talent. It doesn't have, I don't think it has the individual talent. That the team that you know Utah and 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 Woodbury and that team had maybe it does maybe it does, but this is what we're seeing Iowa do right now, Steve. Is things we don't normally see them do in a Big Ten basketball season for much of the past thirty years. No, I think they have um, clearly. First of all, I think this was dramatically needed after the last um, after what happened last season after what happened with Gary Dawson a month and a half ago. Um, I think I think this is something that the program absolutely needed. And um, what they have found a way to do uh, is, is basically what we said all offseason they had to do, which is be just as good off- offensively. And there are certain athletic limitations in the backcourt. You're just never going to be a great defensive team in, in today's college basketball when that's the case. But can you not be primordial ooze? Um, can you evolve, you know, uh, to the Jurassic era? Can we can we be Cro-Magnon? Um, capable, not terrible, not a sieve. And, you know, right now, I think they're, they're a little better than that. And I think they have more shot makers now than what they had last year as well. So, um, I mean, this is the makings of, you look at their number 25 in, in the net rankings right now, which are really the only rankings that matter. So you're looking at a team that if, if Selection Sunday were right now, this would be a, a team that would, you know, probably be a top five or, or six seed, would be my guess. Um, maybe get a chance to even play in Des Moines, uh, depending on uh, how favorable of a pod they received in the first couple of rounds. And when you look at where where they were at the start of the season, um, yeah, I don't know who wouldn't take that that's listening to this right now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Now, the sledding gets a little tougher. Um, Iowa is home against Michigan State on Thursday. Michigan State beat Iowa in East Lansing back on, what was that, December the 3rd, 90-68 in a game that wasn't even that close, really. Um, And then they're at Minnesota, which I felt a lot more concerned about that game a few weeks ago. But then Illinois put up 90-something on them and beat them by 25 or 30 points in Champaign this past week. I can't get a real good read on Minnesota other than they're really athletic. I think they're a physical team. I just don't think that their their skill set one through seven 
is all that refined. I think they can come out and really bang with you and athletic you, but I don't see much nuance there. When you got to have a bucket, can they do that? I don't see that player. Then they got Michigan at home, which that's that's a tough out. And then you're at Indiana, which also, Steve, looks a lot more winnable now than it did maybe a month ago as Indiana's come on hard times. That four-game stretch there, I think Iowa needs to get to nine conference wins. And then probably, you know, if they get to nine wins, I think they're probably in the tournament. If they get to nine wins and then win their first round Big Ten tournament game, pretty much for sure they're in the tournament. But if they could split somehow this home against Michigan State at Minnesota, home against Michigan and at Indiana, if they can split that, they're going to make it to the tournament and they could maybe get in there as a, you know, they would have a resume putting them in there right now as at that point as a, a five or six seed. Well, what I think is going to be fascinating is I, I don't know that we know what you just said is true, meaning we're going to learn how much priority is put on these net rankings. And, I, I have a strong suspicion the answer is going to be a lot here in about 50 days when we get to Selection Sunday because it makes no sense to continue to publicize these, to continue to reveal these, um, and then sit down. When, give yourself – you have to look at the NSA Selection Committee as a bureaucracy. And, and the reason a bureaucracy – bureaucracies tend to, tend to loathe transparency – unless or until uh, it's either forced on them legally or um, it's the, it's an antidote to scrutiny, meaning they've decided that the scrutiny, they, the heat they're taking for the decisions they're making uh, is so high that they're better off being transparent during the process of, of what they're thinking getting going into making the decision so that this gives them amount as a, the highest amount of political cover as possible. I suspect we're going to learn these rankings rank really high. So if I'm right, then, you know, I don't know that there's a certain record Iowa has to have because they're number 25 right now. So yeah, the 25 now, but before the, before Sunday's win was factored in. Yes, that's right. That's through Saturday. Thank you. So, you know, and that'll go down as a blowout. The way the blowout metric works in the uh, in in the net rankings is anything over ten points is considered a blowout, and they do that so they don't have teams you know running up twenty five, right. thirty five point wins at the end. So anything over ten is considered a blowout. So you're a top twenty five team in the net rankings here. We're now into the second half of the season. I, I don't know that there's some magic number Iowa needs because. It looks to me like they're an NCAA tournament team right now. I mean, I, I, so I don't know that they have to get to, you know, nine or ten wins. Probably depends on who those nine or ten wins are. On the other hand, you know, th this is also going to be much more relative to what the teams around you do also. And if you look at some of the teams that are, you know, behind Iowa, you know, you look at teams like Wofford, um, you know, I know they had a really strong early schedule, but now that they're going to play much more of the meat of their conference schedule, what mm -hmm. a Southern conference, I think you'll see their number drop. 
You know, Florida State had a terrible loss today to Boston College. They're one in four in the ACC now. So, I, I mean, okay. I, 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 I kind of think you're in really good shape. Just, you know, don't tank. So I, I would kind of look at the net rankings as, you know, go back to the era that you said with the last time Iowa had a winning streak like this in the Big Ten. Well, if, 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 if we were doing this podcast back in those days and Iowa was in the top 25 of the AP poll, would we be sitting here going into late January saying, well, you know, if they can go two and two in this four game stretch, I think they can make be in the tournament. No, we wouldn't think that way because they'd be, a, you know, they're, well, you're, they're a top 25 team. So we're talking seeding, not selection. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of think that's the way you ought to be looking at these net rankings. I, I, I have a hard time believing the committee's going to get to conjure this formula up, going to promote it all year. And then when the heat is on the most, they're going to say, you know, on second thought, we're going to put all that pressure back on ourselves. I, I just, my day job has taught me over the last 15 years, bureaucracies do not work that way. I think they're going to follow these net rankings pretty closely. Yeah, you're probably right. And my thinking is tainted by history um, and, and what we've known to be, you know, measurables and things like that throughout our lives. So this is a this is a brave new world. And yeah, just as long as Iowa doesn't you know go zero and four here, even if they did, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It just gives you know narrows their margin for error as we as we move forward here. Um, we, I mean, we, just give, give, can I give you one example of what I'm talking about? All right. So mm-hmm. Iowa's next opponent is Minnesota. Or I'm sorry, after Michigan State, it's Minnesota. Minnesota's 67th in the net rankings with a 14 and four record. Penn State, who Iowa just beat on the road, um, is what are they? 75th in the net rankings. They're seven and 12. So, in the old era. We wouldn't think that was a big win. Well, a road win against a top 75 team, that's like a quadrant one win. So I, I, if I were an Iowa fan now, I, I think if you're a fan, there's two kinds of expectations. There's what you thought going into the year, and then there is what you, what you now believe is possible once you're into the year. And you get to decide as a fan which of those matter to you or not. So if you're a fan that was saying, hey, I just want to get back to the NCAA tournament again. I want Selection Sunday to matter again. I want Iowa to be one of those 68 teams again. Well, I, you know, this then that's great news for you. Uh, you're, I, you're right on track to do that. If you're a fan that's now looking at um, where they're at, in, as a top 25 team going into the second half of the season and you're thinking, you know, I, I'd kind of like to win enough games that I, we get a chance to play in Des Moines. I think you're totally justified adjusting those expectations as well given, uh, given you know, what we've seen so far this year. So when you start looking at it, you know, I look at the game on Thursday night against Michigan State. And what I think is going to be fascinating is I've watched a lot of, I've watched all these Big Ten teams a lot this winter. What I, what I think is going to be fascinating is, is number one, if you know the history of this series, there's just, you know, every school team, somebody just kind of has your number. If you're an Iowa basketball fan, you just know, and it doesn't matter who's coming back and who's not coming back. When you WNL the schedule, you know 
you're taking the L in East Lansing, right? You just know that, okay? Yeah, I'm never, I'm never so, watching one again there. I told you that. I'm done. <laughs> yes. So I, I, I and, and, and I don't know that, and, and we've seen plenty of Iowa teams beat Michigan State in Iowa City, despite that. So I, I think you don't, I don't know that you learned anything about that game, especially a conference game the first week of December. So I, 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 will, I don't think what you saw in that game will have any bearing on the outcome on Thursday whatsoever. To me, this game is really simple. Did Iowa, did, you know, when you have a shooting performance the way, like Iowa did today, you kind of know how those things regress to the mean in the next matchup. But before, I, I, it's easy to say that. But Iowa can, Iowa's got a lot of shot makers. They got a lot of guys that, that can score, a lot of guys that can make shots. So even if, so, you know, do I think Iowa's going to have what was at the sixth best shooting mark in college basketball in the last 15 years or something I saw there? Yeah, I think uh, the, 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 the second best since 2006 and the all-time since best in Carver Hawkeye Arena. All right, so they're not doing that. It's just That's not happening again, okay? But I don't think it's unreasonable that you guys can make 10 of 10 threes with the amount of shot makers you guys have. So I think, I think this game is, comes down to two separate things. Is how much can Iowa stop Cassius Winston from getting into the lane? Which, which, which with the big, the athletic scene, Michigan State's going to throw athletic bigs at you that Illinois and doesn't have. And, and Penn State has one really nice big, but, but, it, it, but not, some, not a guy that's necessarily, you know, going to dominate on the weak side or off the offensive glass. So Kent, you know, and I would play a lot of zone defense in this game. My goal would be to keep Cassius Winston out of the lane. And I want to turn this into a three-point shooting contest. And if, and if Michigan State, you know, if Michigan State comes into my gym and, and, and shoot and makes 12 threes, and that's how I lose, I will live with that. But what I cannot do is have Cassius Winston get into the lane, break down my defense, cause my defense to collapse, foul trouble on Luka Garza and things of that nature. I don't want that to happen. So this, this game comes down to those two things. Can Iowa make about 10 threes? And can it, uh, how much can it stop Cassius Winston from getting into the lane against its defense? I think those two things will determine what happens on Thursday night. Isaiah Moss, what, what are the things that we've talked about, I mean, seemingly forever? with regards to the Iowa basketball program is that that athletic guard that can be a triple threat on offense mm -hmm. that can hit the outside shot that you have to respect can also take you off the bounce to get it to the basket. And Isaiah Moss has been an intriguing player since his freshman year, but he's just lacked consistency. And through much of the first half of this season, his junior season, it looked a lot like he just another Isaiah Moss season of inconsistency. But over his, his last nine games, he scored nine, or he scored nine, 15, seven, 13, 12, 12, nine, 12, 21. That's certainly a modicum of consistency, at least as far as his previous portion of his career is concerned. That's encouraging. He's also hit 16 of 33 from three during that time frame. And he's the type of player that Iowa desperately needs to be consistent. I mean, he averaged 12 points a game last year, but as we said, he'd get 27, then he'd get two. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think? You think I'm just being too optimistic, looking for something I want to see, or have you seen more consistency out of Moss? No, I don't think you're projecting at all. I, I think he's absolutely capable of that. I think, again, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, there's a lot of guys on this team that can make shots. There's a lot of offensive options. This is a good Michigan State defensive team, but it's not an elite defensive team. Uh, heading into this past week uh, of action, I think they were 24th or 25th in the nation in defense efficiency, which is really good, but it's actually kind of low what we're used to seeing from Michigan State. So um, I, I think, you know, guys like McQuaid, is, he's dramatically improved on the defensive end of the floor. And that's picked up some of the slack for the facts. Cassius Winston is not a very good defensive player. I just, and, and so that, that, my guess is Michigan State's going to try to put McQuaid on Moss and, and not Winston uh, because McQuaid's actually the much better defensive player, has, has better ladder. I know this violates all of our Dan Patrick's uh, racial stereotypes in sports, but McQuaid, the white guy, actually has better lateral quickness and moves his feet better on defense than Cassius Winston does. And I think that's what's going to be an interesting defensive matchup for Iowa on the other end is Cassius Winston is not – you know, it's not a Scooney Pen. Boy, I don't know where that name came from, but he is not a you know a spark plug point guard. Um, he's he's not. You know, if you're thinking of other Michigan State point guards in the past, he he is more of a better shooting version of Mateen Cleaves, not Eric Snow. This is not a guy who's really explosive off the bounce. He's just really savvy, and he's a really good three point shooter. And so if he forces you to extend your defense and then that's where he takes advantage of you with his ability to break you down more out of respect for his ability to shoot from the three than the fact that he can just out dribble an angle with, with his explosiveness defensively. So um, I, I think if, it, you know, one of the matchups to watch in that game it, it is – because is Moss going up – is McQuaid against Moss? Because I was going to need to get something on the perimeter uh, in scoring uh, given the, the, the bigs. You know, Michigan State's got, got several bigs that uh, – you know, everybody knows Nick Ward, but there's Tillman, there's others, Malik Henry. They got a series of big guys that they can throw out there to give uh, Garza and, and Tyler Cook different looks. Then uh, – I mean, they probably have in terms of sheer numbers – the deepest front court in the Big Ten. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. Last thing, and this is football related, you know, we, we spoke last week, the day TJ Hawkinson announced that he was uh, going to be turning pro. We, we broke all that down. Let me pick your NFL brain. I was thinking about this today, you know, watching the Chiefs and Kelsey, you know, who's number two all time for most receiving yards by a tight end in a single season and who led it for a brief moment for a few hours until George Kittle broke that record a few hours later in the week's final game. So you have the number one and two all time single season tight end receiving yard performances in the same year. Tight end is becoming more and more in favor in this league. 
you know, this as the Gronkowski era winds down, it's not like they just became in favor, but the way the game's changing, it seems like tight ends with that, that can that can block, but also move the way that Kelsey and Kittle move. Boy, they are becoming more in vogue. Has there been a better draft than what is coming in 2019 to be a tight end with skill? With these move skills. No, I think that's an excellent point. And, you know, I look at a guy my Lions drafted uh, as the rare first-round tight end a few years ago, Eric Ebron, as a number 10 pick. And, you know, they they weren't really sure ever how to deploy him. Sometimes they wanted to make him a move tight end. But weaknesses on the offensive line, they forced him to play in line quite a bit at the same time. And so they kind of made him a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Uh, he struggled with drops, things of that nature. Uh, the city really turned on him. And, and so, you know, the franchise didn't exercise his option year, which almost never happens for first-round draft picks. So it's, it's about 90% that the team exercises that fourth-year option year uh, so, so they can get you at the cheaper rate. The Lions didn't do that. Let, let him go out to free agency. Colts sign him. And you see him have a Pro Bowl season uh, for Indianapolis this year and was kind of a revelation because they told him, hey, you're, you're basically just going to be the, move t- the, the, the movement in space tight end. So, you know, I go back to something I heard Nick Saban say years ago, many years ago now, because this was back when he was coaching at Michigan State, that he always found it easier if he had a choice between trying to game plan as a defensive coordinator to stop an elite wide receiver or an elite tight end, he'd rather try to stop the elite wide receiver because at every level of football, usually the toughest thing to find are linebackers that can cover in space. And to, and to show you that you're, the point you're making is, is, is really valid, look at the kinds of linebackers that are now heavily – um, uh, heavily uh, coveted uh, by NFL teams. You look at Roquan Smith, who was picked, I think, seventh or eighth overall for the Bears in this past draft. You look at Devin Bush coming out of Michigan, who's going to be a first-round pick. Both of these are guys that are like 230 pounds. These aren't Brian Urlacher types. These aren't Mike Singletary types. But but the reality is so few teams are, are running the ball downhill anymore. So little of the game is played in the box right now. When you look at, you know, uh, the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury, what Sean McVay, what he's done with the Rams, more more wide open, more air raid. Uh, you know, the Patriots ran the ball more this year when Sony Michelle was healthy. Uh, but when he wasn't, they were just fine, essentially just throwing the ball every single down. And so you're seeing more NFL teams now drafting smaller, faster linebackers that can that that can play against these tight ends in space because of further evidence of how uh, the the game has evolved along the lines of what you're talking about. All right, that will wrap up this installment of the HN podcast for Steve. I'm John. We will talk to you soon.